Your health is our priority. Each series, it's our goal to make sure that we provide you with experts and guests that offer multiple perspectives so that you feel supported, empowered, and less alone. Like the work we do? Buy us a cup of coffee. Or tea. You can leave us a tip over at coffee.com slash the hip podcast, which is ko-fi.com slash the HIP podcast, or with the link in our show notes. When you buy us a cup of coffee, you not only support the work we do, but also gain access to early releases and downloadable resources. Again, that's coffee.com slash the hip podcast. Hey there! We just wanted to take a moment to thank each and every one of you who have listened, shared, engaged, and sent us love. It means the world to know that we've had the chance to spread even just a little bit of knowledge, insight, and encouragement to you along your health journeys. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, we've created a Patreon page where you can earn some exciting rewards, because being a part of the HIP team isn't just a hobby, it's a lifestyle. Contributions start as low as $1 a month, with each level offering a number of super fun perks, like monthly bonus episodes, Q&As, a portrait drawn by our own in-house artists, and even personal chats with the Health It's Personal team. We created this podcast so that everyone can have the chance to access informative, inspirational, and insightful stories, and your support is a huge step in us reaching those who need it most. We wish we could give you all a big hug, but hopefully this will suffice, at least until we're allowed to hug again. If you love what you hear or are as passionate about health as we are, please visit patreon.com slash the hip podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash the HIP podcast. We couldn't do this without you. So thank you again. And thanks in advance for joining our ever growing hip family. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Health It's Personal. We are nearing the end of our nutrition series, but this week we are so thankful to have award-winning author, writer, educator, and lover of food, Andrew Cotto. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> he was awesome. He was really fun to hang out with and chat about these topics for sure. Yeah. And afterward, we were super hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He talks about how food not only is nutrition for your physical self, but the idea of sitting around a table and having this wonderful meal and immersing yourself in the culture of eating, how good that is for your overall well-being. And that stems from his Italian-American heritage. And I love how he's expanded on that over the years, too, with all these different world experiences, including even plant-based diets and putting it all together and just understanding, you know, in the contemporary world we're living in right now, it's it's going to get a little mixed up sometimes, but to roll with it and still stay true to those values. <laughs> Zoom dinners. <laughs> I feel really passionate about this and I love it so much, but I haven't been able to figure it out for myself. But here's what I know. The night that we had our birthday dinner, mm-hmm. that I felt so much joy during that night sitting at that big table, eating a family style meal with like the people that I love. I felt so out of body. It was so great for me. I loved it dearly. And, um, I have students who will talk about like 
having these elaborate Mexican meals with their family and then having like a dance Mm -hmm. party and doing all Mm -hmm. these things that are cultural and spending time making tamales tamales yeah what a family experience that is and it takes all day and all these things and I've always felt a little envious of people who've had that because I've never quite been able to emulate it because I don't have culture and food relationship so we would do like Friday night dinners with Kenna when she was in college just to like get together and have a meal I wish that I would have taken the time when my kids were young, to figure out how to incorporate that into our lives. Yeah. Well, the thing about that specifically with you is you didn't grow up with that. So there's a learning curve there. It took several years for you to find that. And also when you were young, you weren't able to travel to places where they did have that. Right then you gave me the opportunity to explore different cultures and countries from a young age. And even just living in Arizona, which is not where you grew up, I spent my weekends and days after school with my Mexican friends and their families. And I would go to their cousins' birthday parties and their graduations and kind of get that experience and bring it home. So we would do tamales on Christmas. I found that when I went to Australia, there was a sense of community there that I was able to get involved in in regards to food. And that kind of was a catalyst for my career path. And then coming to New York, I have all these open doors of friends of different cultures and restaurants and experiences. So I feel like even though that wasn't where we started, it's where we've been and it's where we're going. Yeah, what? What's that like for you, Sean? Like, does your family have a specific relationship to food and culture? Or when you lived in Japan, did any of that kind of come to fruition? So absolutely. Um, And I was just thinking, don't feel bad because there are so many people out there who don't have those opportunities for whatever reason it might be, including up to, you know, we're not close as a family at all. And some people can't be close with their families. And that's heartbreaking but it's true it's a fact um there's so many people who can't have that so don't ever feel bad if you don't have that but like you said you can still move forward and maybe create that for yourself or your family friendsgiving yeah friendsgiving or you know um especially in the lgbtq plus community there's so many people who cannot they simply can't yeah exactly and so it's it's important to find those new connections and those new traditions so it's okay to start from scratch <laughs> just like with recipes right yeah exactly <laughs> To start with Japan, because that's easy, um, it's it's incredibly important in the culture there, and everyone wants to have you over to their grandparents' house or to a really fun restaurant to experience all sorts of new food. Um, there's this one time when the elders in the community took me out to this really great seafood restaurant, and we ordered this huge fish. I don't even know what <laughs> fish it was. and to, But they, they offered me the cheek meat of the fish, which is the best oh, part. Special. <laughs> I felt very honored because they explained to me how important that was. And usually like the the head of the family or the group of friends or the boss gets that. So, <laughs> But they wanted me to experience that. <laughs> and so it was really fun like, going to friends, you know, family houses and just letting me experience the culture of food like hot pot or okonomiyaki or the fun summer things that you do with the little slide that you put the noodles down. It's really fun. (laughs) You go, they, they (laughs) like the grandpa goes out into the forest and chops down a bamboo shoot and you make this cool slide and it's just really fun stuff like that. I'm going to do that. Um, And then for my family, 
some of my family is from England, but they moved there from Italy. And so we have this really interesting Italian, British, American crossover. <laughs> and um, my grandmother like has this weird mix of dishes. She usually doesn't cook British food because if you know English food, no offense to my lovely friends and family but it's not always the best just like american food is not always the best um so she kind of has this mix and it's of, often italian food and dishes but um <laughs> these family recipes that we'll do like for christmas we'll do um this tart recipe or eclairs that she's it's been in the family for a long time and it's really fun <laughs> oh that's nice well and something that i love about that is that you know eating it obviously brings people together and it gives you this cultural understanding and it makes you feel connected to your heritage and the people around you and healthy food makes also makes you feel like your best self um the social aspects i think do that too and something that we talked about in the interview is that plant-based diets and vegan and vegetarian foods have adapted over the years in a way that they have so much flavor and so much energy and sometimes indulgence and you can still have that when you're eating plant-based it doesn't it doesn't feel so stigmatized you can still indulge in these things and they can still bring you joy it doesn't have to be a salad every time but fair warning just because it's it's plant-based doesn't mean it's healthy because I've had so many really great dishes that are entirely (laughs) vegan and it's absolutely not healthy (laughs) yeah yes (laughs) uh crispy tofu french fries yeah (laughs) you're still frying it (laughs) even though you know all those traditional uh cultural recipes that are handed down from generations to generations maybe aren't the healthiest or aren't gluten-free or vegan or whatever people are facing in your families and we still have to feel good after the meal even if you feel good during the meal right you you don't want to feel better um so I love that you there are so many adaptations and uh, I've told me kind of this story before but when um when I was first a vegetarian and Scott and I were first married that was like 20 years ago and I would go to my grandma's for dinner and she'd make lasagna and there would be meat in it <laughs> even though she knew I was a vegetarian and my grandma's the sweetest person ever but she was probably just like I can't be bothered with what Karen's doing right now so I would pick all the beef out of the lasagna and like scoot it over towards Scott and he'd eat it so my grandma wouldn't That's amazing. it. <laughs> I don't have to do that anymore. There, there are so many options and choices and different things that yeah. all types of people can enjoy and to fit in with whatever your family looks like. I will be honest. I had to stop being a vegetarian because of Japan <laughs> uh, because there was really no way around it. And you want to be open to trying a bunch of new things that you've never tried before. So it's really limiting. And yeah. And but it'd be funny because I'm not even kidding. This happened once, but it was a frequent occurrence. You know, you try to explain vegetarian to them and they're like, oh, don't worry. This is bacon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. No, no, it's spam. (laughs) It's spam. It's spam. It's it's not, it's not beef. It's spam. So it's vegetarian. (laughs) Um, But, and everything has like um, a fish sauce or, you know, something like that in it. So if you're trying to be vegan, it's, but it's funny because there are also Buddhist monks there who are vegan, but you know, it's just culturally, if you're not that, (laughs) that part of the culture, then you're just gonna eat all this stuff like eat all of the yeah (laughs) I tried things in Greece that I wouldn't normally try I felt no she really took that to the next level that was funny and fun (laughs) I'll try this fish with a head on it I don't care 
<laughs> that reminds me of like we one of our final nights in in Italy when we had this big family trip there. Yeah, <laughs> we were on the Sorrento. We were in Sorrento on the coast, and my cousin ordered the catch of the day, like fried. And we thought, oh, fried fish that you order in an American restaurant, right? It's just a bunch of super fried fish. It was like a very lightly battered and lightly quickly fried, like literally catch of the day, whatever was in the net because we're right on the ocean. So it's like all sorts of heads and eyeballs. <laughs> and he was like, I'm not eating this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't. <laughs> yeah. He just couldn't do it. No, I, f- I feel that. I can feel that. Yeah, but now you can have cacio e pepe with cashew cream sauce which andrew mentioned the other night i made chrissy teigen's spicy miso pasta with nutritional yeast and miso instead of parmesan so there's a way to feel like you're indulging and to feel like you're making something special for yourself or for a group and bringing people together while still staying true to those healthy choices that make you feel your best well I loved Andrew's interview so much one thing that I thought was really cool that he's doing is reading some of the parts of his books that um, describe um, different culinary delights from places that he's been so he's been doing a reading and McKenna's been enjoying readings lately too trying to turn it into like a community thing again right so food and friends and I love it yeah connection So I thought that was so nice. So please, everyone, grab a cup of tea and a friend and enjoy this episode with Andrew Cotto. Health is understanding what you need. Being informed. Finding that balance of mental and physical. Building yourself a support system. Figuring things out on my own and not letting it hold me back. You do kind of have to advocate for yourself. Because health, it's personal. So Andrew, welcome. We're so glad you're here. You're very accomplished. You're an award-winning author, a journalist, an educator, and a lover of food. So before we dive into all of that, we'd love to hear a bit about your most recent writings, uh, specifically those related to food and including one of my favorites, Live to Eat Well, that you wrote for the Good Men Project. Sure. And thank you for having me. It's really it's really an honor and I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, that particular um, article, um, Live to Eat Well, was sort of a culmination of a lot of the writing I've been doing the uh, last couple of years. Well, I've, I've always written a lot about food and more, you know, about, you know, places to go and, and eat and, you know, you know uh, profiles of, of, of food personalities, providers of food, purveyors of it, etc. And it, it just sort of started occurring to me just how, you know, why I was so passionate about it. You know, one of the things I write most about, I'm not a food writer, by I guess by um, definition, but I was writing a lot about food. And it occurred to me that the reason I was doing that was because I'd become so convinced um, that the benefits of, of, of eating well were, were beyond just, you know, you know, the experience of putting it in your mouth and tasting it as well. It was, and I always loved that part and will always will. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was something beyond that that was bigger than that that was lending itself towards the experience of, of wellness um, beyond the meal itself. Are you talking about an emotional wellness? Yeah, absolutely, yes. I, I think there's obviously the, the physical part, you know, that you get from the nutrients, et cetera. But I, I think there, there is something 
I guess medicinal is the wrong term for it, right? But like, like psychologically medicinal, I think, um, mm-hmm. emotionally medicinal. Yeah. When we take care of ourselves, we put good things into our body, right? Um, so, and I think it works on various levels. There's the, there's the joy of it, for sure. And I'm happy to talk about that all day long. There's the company that can often come from it, you know, that, that feeling of, of companionship that can come from it. But yeah. beyond, I think, those those things that are, that are more, you know, visceral, there is the resonance that lends itself to sort of balance, and, um, mm-hmm. and wellness and contentment, knowing that we're going to eat well, there is a privilege, you know, it's a really good feeling to know that it provides us with a, a, an added level of comfort that I don't think we all, we fully appreciate. Yeah. Those intimate conversations that you have, um, when you're eating with someone, the laughter that you share, I love mm-hmm. all of that so much. We recently spoke to a natural chef who studied food, community, and culture, and how important it is to eat in relation to the foods of your heritage and the foods you ate growing up. What kinds of things did you eat growing up, Andrew? Well, I came from an Italian-American family here in the New York area. So, you know, it, it was Sunday when it was required to be at my grandmother's and grandfather's for lunch. And then there, was, there was no, you know, there was no soccer game that got in the way or somebody's birthday party. It wasn't even if it was my birthday. It didn't matter. Like, like you were at Lonnie's house Sunday at noon. Suffer the consequences. And we, we didn't think about not going, right? I love that so much. Um, so, and, and it was it was an all-day affair. You know, you, know, you got there when you got there around lunchtime, and we we there till dark. And it was yeah. all, all my cousins um, and my aunts and uncles and my grandparents, of course. Um, and it was one of the most memorable experiences of my childhood um, in that, you know, there was this feeling throughout the course of the day that we were going to be really well-fed. And everything sort of operated around the table in my in my grandmother's dining room it was a very small you know apartment you know floor through um in a three-story home in a three-family home and, and we'd be all packed in there it was, it was all centered around with the dining room table you know and then when it came time to eat again it wasn't like we'll come and we're ready no you come right and then when they say yeah. time to come eat, <laughs> yeah, right. you, you got yourself in there cleaned up and sat down anyway right and, and there was a reverence to it <laughs> And it left, left this really massive impression upon me about how, how proud I made my grandmother and how everyone there was so close. And my cousins are still my closest family. I, I, they're my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And we get together now. You know, my favorite times you know, in, in the world today are, are my getting together with my cousins um, and eating and, and drinking together. That aside, my mother was also a fabulous cook. She was sort of shunning her Italian-American background and wanted to be a little more cosmopolitan. <laughs> so she was like, you know, watching Julia Child and Jacques Pepin on, D, on BBS. And, uh. <laughs> Going through Bon Appetit magazines, you know, and making these elaborate dinner, throwing these elaborate dinner parties at our home for their friends, right? So this was separate from our family. Their friends would come over and she'd whip up something that, oh my God, you know. <laughs> you know, something that, that, that resonated with me as well because, hey, I'd help her a lot. Um, but like I remember the sound of the glasses clinking and the laughter in the other room and all the, the oohs and the ahs. And I really fell in love with like you know, that experience of, of having people, you know, you know, in a more celebratory um, experience as well. And the food being, you know, beyond just Italian Americana. Absolutely. Yeah. So you went back to Italy recently. Was that the first time you had been back and experienced that culture firsthand? Yeah. Like, so as I, as I grew up, um, we, we left the East coast, my family started moving around quite a bit. I came back and, and, um, throughout that process, I was cooking a lot. I went to college and I worked in a restaurant. So I was eating, I was dining in the nineties. It was a really golden era of restaurants in New York city. You know, like there was, you know, all the great, you know, Italian, Italian restaurants were starting to pop up, you know, and there was Union Pacific and I love the Union Square Cafe. So my Italian American heritage aside, which was mostly rooted in Sicily, right, um, was sort of fading from my interest, but I was gaining a real interest in like, you know, central Italy, Tuscany, the areas around Rome. 
I won a, I won a contest at my company. It was a national sales contest with Venice, Florence, Rome, and we were in Florence on our second leg of the trip, probably three days into the whole thing. And I said, we're moving here. I said, I have to live in this country at some point. And my wife was just sort of like, well, whatever. Right? Um, <laughs> but like you know, two years later, I quit my job um, and moved to Florence and wrote my first book there. I, I was hedging towards transitioning out of my previous career, towards writing and teaching. Um, that trip just was like, blew it up. I was like, I can't not do this. And I have to do it now. And I was young enough at the time that you know, I could take a chance. Mm-hmm. And it changed my life, you know, it changed my life in, you know, in many ways, but as far as our purposes go, you know, I, I, I observed there the quality of life that Italians have. You know, they, they, they've got their issues, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to say Italian <laughs> is utopia, right? But like the Italian people eat and drink very well, and it's not a privilege there, it's a right. Every single person of every social class has access to very healthy food, right? They don't do farm to table, they call it food. And they get what they they, they get their food <laughs> from the person around the corner who got it from the farmer who's off in the hill. You can see from where you're sitting, right? They make their own wine right from the hills that surround the villages, right? And they eat this. There's a provincialism that comes from it, but I don't care, right? What comes from it from their point of view is is, is a quality of life that we didn't have here. I, I was I was you know becoming aware of how you know much of a privilege it is in America to eat well. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love that so much. So you have this amazing foundation from your grandparents, and then you have these cultural experiences. How does that translate to the experiences that you have related to food with your own family? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure that one out. It's, it's hard because you know, their lives are so different than mine as kids. They're so all over the place and doing different things. The idea of like, you have to be home at this time every single night for dinner is just so antiquated. Yeah, right. You know, and I, I would love to have that experience. It just doesn't work. They're going here, they're going there. They got practice, they're running late. You know, someone's Ubering home from like Bay Ridge, you know, like, ah, and <laughs> like, you know, the, the ability to sort of plan meals around there is one where I haven't, what I envisioned, where I always imagined like, sitting with my kids and having dinner every night. That said, I mean, they, they do like food. There's a great anecdote from my, my daughter was kindergarten. She went home with a, a girlfriend from school, right? And then this play date turned into a dinner invitation. And the mother said to Sophia, my daughter, you know, Sophia, whatever you want to have for dinner, I'll make it. Pizza, chicken fingers. And she said, lamb chops. <laughs> <laughs> it is like lamb chops. <laughs> who feeds you, right? And that's like my daughter's favorite food. You know, like, you know so I, I feel like I'm putting it in there. I just wish I could, you know, do a little bit more. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, the dynamics are different between parents and grandparents and kids now, right? Um, back then, if your grandparents told you that you were spending all day Sunday every single week with them, um, you would say, out of respect, that's exactly what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> but kids today, if we told them that, they would say, you're out of your mind. <laughs> I absolutely love when people show affection through food. Um, and it sounds like that's what you do with your own kids. Yeah. And we talk about it a lot. And they see me eating well. <laughs> Have they been to Italy with you? Yeah. Um, they came with me for the first time. Two years ago was my 50th birthday. And we went to Italy. I was there for most of the summer, it seemed. Um, they came over for a week. Um, it was their first time there. Um, and they absolutely loved it. I think they, they loved the fact that, you know, I'd been talking about it. And, and it's such a big part of my life. And that when they got there, you know, it wasn't overrated. That's so nice. Being in the place that is so connected to your family and to your heritage, it has a strong sort of magnetic pool when you're there. You really feel it. You feel that connection. I'm sure that just feels really special. Yeah. 
that, that, that's sort of the, the gist of, you know, and it's funny, I didn't really have that so much growing up. I didn't, Italy was just so esoteric to me, right? A lot of times what happens to people of my generation who come from, from immigrants or, or, um, or the children of immigrants is that the, the, the people who come over want to, you know, you know um, detach from that heritage in some ways, right? They, they feel the stigma of not speaking of the language, of the foreign language, of, you know, not being American, but being Italian-American or Irish. They've maintained a, you know, a semblance of the traditions, but they also wanted to separate from it language-wise, right? You know, there was no vacation. No one had any money to go back there and visit. So it wasn't like, you know, we, we, were, we were traveling back and forth and like meeting our cousins from, from Palermo. They wanted us to be American. That, that would make them proud. Um, so there was that, then when you start discovering that later in life, it comes back pretty strong. The, the, there is that sort of like real magnetic pull towards it. That's a great word choice. And that's sort of the gist of one of the, the book I just wrote, Cucina Tipica, it's about an American who goes to Italy on holiday, you know, and, and doesn't want to leave. Um, and it's, it's also related in, in large part to our talks about wellness. He's suffering. He's depressed. Right? He gets there, you know, and he's sued by the food and the wine. I mean, I always have to make this disclaimer and that the, the subtitle is an Italian adventure, but it's not like the Da Vinci Code. It's <laughs> had to like, you know, go tearing down alleyways after scrolls to find his family. Emotional <laughs> adventure. It's a gastronomic adventure as much as anything else. So an emotional one too. So. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'd like to shift gears just a little bit. And uh, we know that you've written about so many different areas of food and Recently, you did test a plant-based diet, and we were curious about how that was and how your relationship with food has adapted over the years as you become more health conscious. Yeah, and this is that's been a really fun thing. This was um, I've been eating better slowly over the years, just like sort of reducing meat. I, I had a sort of I came back from Italy with a sort of Mediterranean diet, so I always ate really well. I mean, it wasn't like I was like eating buckets of chicken. <laughs> I was getting more and more curious about different um, eating lifestyles. A lot of my students were vegan vegetarian, a lot of my kids' friends were gluten-free, et cetera, right? I was, I was sort of becoming conscious of all of these different ways to eat and how much more common it was becoming. Plant-based sort of became really interesting to me. Just coincidentally, there's a, a, a magazine called The Beat, B-E-E-T, mm-hmm. entirely plant-based Condé Nast publication. And I, I pitched this idea, how about I just go plant-based for me, this guy who's writing about lamb chops and, and, and sausages <laughs> and like just, you know, beefsteak and fiorentinas. I kind of thought I made my living writing about meat. I stocked up on all these different, you know, roasted vegetables and tons of hummus and, and nuts and things. And like, just the changing it up was just so fun to do. It was A, far easier than I thought it was going to be. It was really fun. And I felt so good. I was feeling the different digestive issues. I was sleeping better. You know, I had more energy. And, and, and I, what I always feared about, you know, plant-based diets or vegetarian stuff was that there was, wasn't going to be enough to sustain me. And that's the best part about it, I think, is that it just expanded my palate so much. You know, there was yeah. so many things that I never would have bothered to eat, even though I, I went back to eating meat um, after it was over. You know, I, I eat much less meat than I did before. Right? I, mean, I was at the lunch yesterday with a buddy of mine in, in, in here in Brooklyn in a, an Italian place, and he's like, you know what, you, you, you order both of us. They're like, cool. I got him the carbonara, and I, I, had, a, I had a salad of chickpeas <laughs> and roasted meats. Nice. I was halfway through, like, what the hell are you doing? I was halfway through, and I'm like, oh my God, what's, what's become of you? <laughs> Those are like the polar opposites. <laughs> I, know. I, was, I, was, I was like eyeballing this carbonara for sure. You're like, like, ooh, lettuce. <laughs> Lettuce on the menu. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I'm having this like chickpea love affair. I'm like, I, I think I'm gonna it's so good. Chickpea. Yeah, I'm gonna have like, a chickpea tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> Mom's been a vegetarian for many, many, many years. 
Yeah, back in the day, if you went out to eat as a vegetarian, you could have salad or french fries. Um, and people are being so much more creative about um, plant-based mm, yeah. food now, and it makes it so much more enjoyable to go out and enjoy a meal with your friends. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I love to hear people who love food love plant-based food because I love meat. I have always had this little dream of working in a butcher shop and you know i really i appreciate the culture around it especially when it's mm -hmm. done right and like the right way but i never cook meat for myself anymore when i cook at home i cook primarily plant-based or vegetarian and then when i go out and it's done right and i know where it's come from then i f feel excited to do that and that's kind of where how i balance it yeah for a long time it was just kind of the young hippie kids yeah. thing and then it was kind of the elitist uh snobby thing you know there's all these yeah. little stigmas around it but it can be so delicious and so good we uh when mom was in town last week we uh -huh. had vegan pho oh, with wow. essentially a soy protein to replace the pork in the pho and it was so delicious you know and and so i love that they're able to do that now it makes me so happy yeah, me too. And, and, and I also feel like, and I love your idea of like just eating meat out of the house because you know, cooking meat at home is like, it's hard, you know, it's hard to find it, make it as, as, you know, flavorful as they do in restaurants because that's, that's their job. Yeah. Especially if I'm just one person, I'm not going to like go all out, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do a rack of lamb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rack of lamb for one. I, I, I do rack of lamb for one, but you know, that's just, that's just so you've been a college educator for some time. Um, how have you seen this idea of food and well-being relate to the students you've taught and connected with? My experience is that, like, you know, comparing it to, like, the previous generation of college students, they, they're so much, you know, more conscious of what they put in their bodies. I mean, I mean you know, I mean, the, the historic college student, like, you know, you know late-night calzones and, 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 you know, and all-you-can-eat wings on Tuesday night or whatever. Like, and, like you know, I almost say, like, like, gluttony. It's part of like the college experience in the past. And right. I think this new generation of college students are so much more conscious of, of health. They practice wellness. They meditate. They do yoga. They, 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 a lot of them are vegans and vegetarians or, or gluten-free, as I mentioned before. You know, they're so much more aware of, of their bodies, right, and what allergies they may have, right? No one knew what – I mean, I'm sure plenty of kids were gluten-free when I was growing up. No one didn't know what the hell yeah, it was. Yeah. And so there's so much more aware and there's so many more options too. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. I love that too, because they also know and understand that in order to do well in school, you have to feed your mind. Um, yes. And they're so much more aware than we ever were. Yeah. Well, and we were driving around Tallahassee recently at the Florida State campus, and we felt so proud of them for having those options for students. I mean, I have a daughter going to college next year. She'll start in, in, the, in the fall. And we were doing the college tour thing. And every single campus we went to had a lot of options, right? And they were like healthy, affordable, diverse. You know, you know there's, I mean, we had a cafeteria when I was in college with like, you know, fried popcorn yeah. shrimp every <laughs> single night. You know? um, and there was, I, I was really impressed by the amount of, of attention colleges are paying to that. What is it that you think many people are missing out on in relation to food and culture, particularly in America? Most people don't recognize the value that comes from eating well, um, you know, a, real, a real appreciation for, for food, like not just like for foodies, right? Mm -hmm. We're getting there, but America isn't a country that necessarily has had a, had a real emphasis on food. 
you know, we're a fast food nation in many ways, you know, um, we're happy and we're sort of breaking away from that, which I'm really happy about, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the eating habits change over the, you know, certainly the course of this century. And, but I still think that, that most people don't recognize, you know, what a pleasure it is with the experience of eating, you know, eating well, eating good food, eating food, people that you care about. Mm-hmm. One of the things I say about why I, I write is that I want to help people feel less alone. And I think, you know, one way to feel less alone is, is by eating, you know, well with people and making that a priority, right? That's, you know, you, you don't eat on the way to go somewhere. I mean, I don't want to go to the movies, you know, mm. sorry, you know, <laughs> sitting in a movie theater with someone, you know, whether it's a date or just with your pals is, is fine. If you're into narratives and film, et cetera, I'm not, I'm not dissing that, but like, if you sit around with them, you know, and, and spend, you know, your, your evening, you know, for hours around a table together, you're going to, you're going to talk mm-hmm. and, and get to places that you hadn't got before and acquire a level of comfort that, that, that's not accessible by doing anything else. Right. But like, I think that, that people don't get the value in that as much as they should. And, and also that I don't think we, we recognize fully yet, you know, the benefits um, to our souls from, from really enjoying food because it, it's, you can do it. You know, throughout the day, right? And my joke about killing time between meals, right? It's only half a joke because you know, you know, looking forward to your next meal, you know, and, and thinking about it, and and, and you know, it is is provides pleasure, right? Oh, I love that. Yeah, McKenna and I will be eating breakfast. We'll look at each other and say, "Uh, what what should we have for dinner?" And we felt really bad about that, but no longer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I feel like that's been especially important lately. Because we need those things to look forward to. <laughs> and that human connection. And I'm sure that there have been generations where they felt like they had to become more American, like you said, and kind of push aside some of their traditions. And I think that's where us as Americans haven't benefited, you know, by opening ourselves up. And I think now people are starting to do that as people are able to travel more and experience other cultures easier and the world feels a little bit more connected whether that's through the internet or experience. And so I think that we're starting to make strides in that direction, which is nice. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. So we talk about filling our cups here, and I know that food and culture really fill your cup, but what are some things um, that you do or read or listen to that really get you excited and give you joy? Besides all the writing I've been doing, I've also been doing some reading out loud. I've been posting a, um, a reading series from my kitchen. It's called the Aperitivo Hour Reading so Series. Good. And it was really launched by an inspiration from my cousin and his girlfriend who were um, sequestered together up in Boston. They're professional musicians. And they started doing a weekly concert. And I thought how much fun it was for them to bring people together and you know, to feel like we're not so alone and to have a sense of community. So I, I did one from Puccina Tipica. Six o'clock was a join with, with a cocktail and, and an aperitivo. I read food scenes from the various books. I did three weeks of Virginia Tipica. I did two weeks from my other, one of my other novels called Attleboro Blues, which is a noir, but the, the protagonist is a chef. So there's lots of good food scenes in that. And then I finally did one night from my, my first book, which is a coming of age story, but the kids Italian American from Queens. And I read the food scenes from them. And it was all really very successful. And they're all up on my YouTube channel, which is just an Andrew Cotto. And they're on Facebook Live and Instagram Live. Um, and this Saturday night, I'm going to do one from my forthcoming novel, which is a sequel to my noir. It's called Black Irish Blues. And the novel begins with a food scene where he makes bucatini alla matriciana. Um, one of the classic Roman pasta dishes. I'll read that scene. Now I'm going to make it um, on the camera for everyone afterwards. So I'll demonstrate how you make it. So that's certainly been filling my cup as well. That's really cool. <laughs> that is so much fun. I love it. Yeah, you're, it, it, it's been fun. 
you'll fill your cup, your bowl, your plate. <laughs> your stomach, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all filling. A lot of filling going on. Awesome. Well, Andrew, this has been so great. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you, Andrew. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, take care. Take care. See ya. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Health It's Personal. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts for bonus episodes and new releases every Wednesday. The Health It's Personal podcast is produced by me, McKenna Udi and hosted with the Phronesis Health Initiative team, Karen Jively and Sean Tingle. Special thanks to portrait artist Alexander, musical contributor Bernie Ramke, and to our guests and experts for their kindness and bravery in sharing their stories each week. Please listen, subscribe, engage, and send us topics we can explore that would help you on your journey. Because health, it's personal.